Welcome to the McCovey Croncast. It is Friday, January 22nd. I'm Brian Murphy. I'm Doug Brizzoni. And we have a very special guest this week. It's Wendy Thurm, the internet's own uh, baseball extraordinaire. Uh, you've seen her work on the New York Times, Sports on Earth, SB Nation. Uh, she's all over the place. She's all over Twitter. And now she's all over this Croncast. Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, first, first things first. I mean, uh, the, the big, the big story here for me is that you, you are in the New York times, the, the <laughs> paper of record, um, as, as Doug, as Doug reminded me, like that is what we should be focusing on. How did that, how did that come about? You wrote about the hall of fame, like the worst possible thing to write about for baseball and, and you knocked it out of the park. If you haven't seen our article, it's a great article about who should be in the Hall of Fame, which is basically all the great players should be. Yeah, the um, the editor for they have this column. Uh, I think it's mostly online called "Room for Debate." I think it's sometimes in print where they get quote unquote experts from <laughs> a particular field to debate, you know, a topic of the day. Um, and the editor contacted me, uh, I guess he, I'm not exactly sure how he found me through Twitter or through a, or a personal recommendation and asked me if I would participate and, you know, would I be comfortable arguing for the everybody in position? Uh, I said, well, I'd rather just argue for Bonds and Clemens and I really would <laughs> rather not argue for Pete Rose. And he said, oh, well, that." The pro Bonds and Clemens and the not Pete Rose position has been claimed by different quote experts. So I said, okay, well, I'm a former lawyer, so I could pretty much argue anything, um, whether I have conviction or not. Um, yeah, so that's how it, that's how it happened, and uh, it was yeah. I mean, I'm not thrilled that I'm in the New York Times for the first time, you know, talking about oh, just let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> but you know, there's that's just the way it. it the dice rolled that time. So yeah, that's how that happened. Well, I very much enjoyed the article. Maybe, maybe because I, I don't know. I try to avoid all the hall of fame stuff now. So the fact that I just didn't really have a lot of the, first of all, you, you won out because you were one of the few articles I read, but also just, it was just very clean and it, it just made the case very simply without really dragging in. It, it didn't make a big deal either way of the points that you were making. So maybe kind of like a, a dispassionate attorney would perhaps present the case. And I, so I appreciated that, but uh, also, yeah, I did look at the Pete Rose part and I went, Oh, okay. I guess she needs that for her bigger argument. And now I know the story behind it. So that's yes. <laughs> yes. And then, and I was thinking, you know, he didn't tell me who the other quote experts were. And I was thinking, Oh, it'll be interesting to see who else is on this on this page with me. And I had never heard of any of the other three people. <laughs> and so <laughs> I felt, I mean, like you guys knew who I was and, you know, I got a lot of play in the family and stuff, but I was like, okay, so this guy thinks I'm an expert, but I've never heard of these other three people. So, so much for that. Um, well, we went to high school with them and, uh, he, he knows them to be experts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I appreciate in that article, the guy who, um, the guy who said let in Pete Rose and keep out Bonds and Clemens is a is a business school guy because right. of course he is. <laughs> right. Because of course he is because he know he can figure out, you know, 
the odds of, of, of Rose's wagering, you know, affecting or not affecting any particular, you know, move he made versus he wouldn't be able to understand, you know, anything about, you know, performance enhancing drugs and how they help or don't. I mean, he's just not, that's not something he'd be interested in. So, right. Um, but yes, I think this is, I, I will say, I mean, the dispassionate nature of the article was in large measure, you know, forced by the, the word limit I was given. And, and that's a pretty interesting exercise, um, you know, which is basically write and then go back and, you know, take out all the words you don't need because it's too long. Um, you know, on the internet, most of us who write on the internet, we don't often have to worry about, you know, word limits. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say, what are you talking about? Take words out? What's exactly. that? I don't... <laughs> exactly. Um, and I, I mean, I've had that before. I've done some magazine pieces or I've had, you know, I've had some other pieces where it needed to be, it was part of a larger uh, you know, anthology or something where the word count mattered, but, um, you know, it does, it does force you to be a little bit more direct. And so I, I was frustrated by it, but in the end, I, I think it actually made, made the argument better because I, you know, I just, I took out all the effings and the, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. the adjectives and the adverbs that, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, speaking of effings and such, uh, you, you grew up a Mets fan, right? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did grow up a Mets fan. Uh, I was born, and I've written about this. I wrote about this for, I think it was one of, um, Michael Clare's like blogathons. Yeah. I wrote about, I was born into a family, a, a Dodgers loving family. Um, but Dodgers were gone, of course, by the time I was born, but my maternal grandfather, was just like the craziest, craziest Brooklyn Dodger fan. And in fact, had made my father relinquish his Yankee fandom before my grandfather would permit him to marry my mother. I mean, it was just like, I mean, very, very famous lore in my family. Um, and, you know, very, very clear stories. You know, my mom, like almost all her friends were Brooklyn Dodger fans. She had one friend who was a New York Giants fan who like soon as Bobby Thompson hit the home run in 1950, like left her, you know, walk up in Brooklyn, ran, you know, three blocks to my mother's house, ran in the house screaming, the Giants won the pennant, the Giants won the pennant. And you know, my mom was like, I'm never talking to you again. I mean, <laughs> eventually did speak again, but I was just like, so this is like, I mean, the way I am, it goes back many generations. Of course, now my grandfather turns in his grave because because I'm not a Dodgers fan, I'm a Giants fan, but I, but, but be, anyway, I grew up, I mean, they, they turned their allegiance to the Mets by the time I had come along. So, um, does the family story go into any detail about this Yankee renouncement ceremony? Because I feel like that should be codified for a larger audience. Like, here's how you renounce your Yankees fandom. <laughs> Do you like burn a Babe Ruth Jersey or like, walk counterclockwise around Yankee stadium. Like, how does it work? What was it? Was it more simple? Was it, this is a picture of Joe DiMaggio. You must turn your back on it and never look at it again. Well, I mean, it was, it's kind of funny. My grandfather was really kind of a great storyteller when he was alive. And he, you know, he basically tells the story that, yeah, my parents had been dating and he, he pulled my father aside one day and he said, you know, I like you. 
The religion is good. <laughs> You've got lefty politics. That's good. You know, but but just there's just one thing. You know, just this one thing. That's not it's just not going to work. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, the details of it, you know, were kept from me when I was a child. So I, I'm, I just assume they were sorted. Um, and now that I'm now that I'm old enough to hear like family stories, cause I'm the youngest of my family. So even though I just turned 50, I've just reached the age where I'm old enough to like hear things, you know, cause you know, when I was, <laughs> that's how it works. I'm still the baby in the family. So it's like, I think Wendy's old enough to know this now. I'm You're like, finally of age. Your grandmother <laughs> used to drink. Yes. <laughs> just so you know. So anyway, it wasn't, it was, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was, but I, it was a story that was told over and over and over again, you know, <laughs> about, oh, your father must have really loved your mother because he gave up the Yankees. And I'm like, and then I came to kind of think, well, I, I don't know. That doesn't strike me as that hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always, I think of the Mets as uh, the Giants cousins, which is how I am. I'm fine with it. I, I don't mind them at all because what they're, they're basically the DNA is the, it's, you know, it's if the, Dodgers and Giants, Romeo and Juliet, and had a kid. It would be the Mets, right? That's yep. essentially what they are. Yeah. Um, so, so to me, I've always been, I guess, sympathetic to the Mets, and so I guess the fact that they've, you know, fallen on their faces a lot, but they've had some really historic, fun times in their history. Uh, that I've always just, I don't know, I've always had a soft spot for them. I guess they are kind of lovable losers in a bit of a in a way, more than, or at least to me, they are. Anyway. I know well, other teams. You know, what's interesting about that is, you know, I mean, they, they won in 69, they were in it in 73, they won in 86. So that basically covered, you know, right. my childhood into, into my college years. And their kind of hard times came after I'd, you know, I'd already moved out to California and I, I was a dual fan and I still really love the Mets. And I try to go to Mets games when I'm back East. And, um, but you know, their kind of real big, you know, kind of downturn coincided with, you know, the Giants kind of really ascending because, you know, I, it doesn't take that long for the three of us, I'm sure, to think back to when, you know, the Giants had, you know, never won in San Francisco and got close, you know, really, really close and, you know, just couldn't close the deal. And, you know, they were the lovable losers or maybe less lovable losers, but losers. So, you know, I don't, I mean... It's easy now for fans to be like, oh, you know, the Mets are so cuddly, you know, and the poor Mets and all that, you know, but it's, it wasn't that long ago <laughs> Giants fans were, yeah. were kind of in the same spot. So. Well, I mean, that's true. They win in 86 and then starting in 87, the Giants, the Giants are pretty good. And then obviously it gets really bad when they're about to sell the team and all that stuff. But 87 and 89 are big years for the Giants and that that helped hook hook you there. So uh, if you're a, a young Giants fan like I was, Doug, you weren't born yet, right? So um, I was born in 85, actually. <laughs> uh, so, Thank you. <laughs> I knew you were young, just not how young. But yeah, um, yeah. So I, I could see that for sure. Uh, there's been uh, there have been there have been some big moments between the Giants and the Mets. I guess I'm just talking about the Mets because why not? The Mets are fun to talk about yes, sometimes. I, agree. I tend to think that Aubrey Huff moment is like oh. one of the biggest <laughs> moments in that 
it's not even a rivalry, I don't think, but I mean, like, it's a it's a big deal that I, I think about. And I go, it's so Mets that it happened to the Giants. It's just like, it was one of the most amazing moments I had ever seen on a, on a baseball field. So. I was actually, I was actually in Philadelphia um, at, at one of my nephew's bar mitzvahs and kind of trying to watch the game on my phone. Um, and you're talking about when Hoff was moved to second base that that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was, so I was, I had flo- I was, I had to be in Philadelphia for the weekend. So I flew in early to New York and I went to the new Yankee stadium for the first time. And I, and my, and then I was going to go back up to New York to go with my brother to the Mets were playing the giants that it was, it was a wraparound series, right? It was supposed to be like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Mm-hmm. That was the Saturday game in Port Sunday, and they got rained out, and then it was, ended up being a doubleheader Monday. So I was there at City Field. Uh, it was the first time I got to go to City Field <laughs> to see a doubleheader on Monday. Lincecum, I think it was Lincecum and Bungarner. Anyway, they swept the Mets, and it was just you know it was cold and foggy, and oh, felt like home. And everyone else was complaining. I'm like, no, this is when you play baseball, and I don't know what the problem. Is. <laughs> so I that that. that the Aubrey Huff thing stands out for me just because I was on the East Coast at the time. And but I mean Mets Giants, you know, you gotta go back to uh two thousand two thousand, you know, the first yeah. season of the ballpark, JT Snow tying the game with the three run home run in game two of the division series, and then the Giants blowing it in extras. Um, I mean, that was really that was that that I think is I mean the Mets beating the Giants and the Giants were just, I mean, I think a superior team, but you know, the Mets were the wild card team and they knocked off the Giants and then played the Yankees in the in the World Series that year. So the last Subway series. I mean, the amazing thing about that Giants Mets series was that the Giants had the best offense in the league. They had, you know, Barry Bonds as he was just becoming as he was transitioning from Barry Bonds all-time great baseball player to Barry Bonds all-time greatest baseball player. They had, you know, Kent and they had Ellis Burks. And in game four, they got shut down by Bobby Jones. And it's just, God, really? And that's always just been the most Giants thing. Like, until they started winning, that was basically who I thought the Giants would always be. Because they couldn't beat Bobby Jones with this historically great offense. Well, a lot of things, a lot of chickens came home to roost in that series, too. I, I mean, I remember after they tied the game, I thought... Why are they not putting Rob Nen in the game right now? And right. this was in 2002. His shoulder hadn't exploded yet. Uh, you know, <laughs> sticking with Felix Rodriguez and all that going going away, that was rough. Uh, so, you know, you've got Dusty managing the pitching staff. And then in that Bobby Jones game, there's a pretty famous play. It was like the Giants' only scoring chance. Uh, yeah. Richard Aurelia is at third base and Benny Agbayani's in left field. And they're desperate to, you know, it's win or go home. And Sonny Jackson who I'm pretty sure everyone agrees was a pretty bad third base coach. Right. You know, he didn't even wave him in. So uh, a couple, and then obviously the Giants pitching not stellar for many years, uh, right. especially yeah. in those Bonds years. It was always pretty lean until you know Jason Schmidt basically was it. Um, but you know, all those things sort of came back to get to bite them uh, right when they didn't need it to. Uh, Sean Estes. Sean Estes's, you know, pitching kind of meltdown. That was that was fun. Uh, was it a base running meltdown, wasn't it? Well, there was a base there was a he base like running meltdown, but I remember that he, you know, he tried to get too cute with Timo Perez. 
you know, just like that kind of thing. Just right. the, the the pitch sequencing and all that kind of stuff. Just those things. But yeah. But and, and uh, but obviously another big moment. Chris Heston getting his uh, his no hitter against the Mets. Also right. also a big deal. Um, uh, I'm trying to think right off the top of my head. Uh, I can't even think it. I know there's one though. There's there's got to be like a famous giant and Met or Kevin Mitchell's like one. This is like the one I can think right. of. Well, I mean, uh, Willie Mays got traded to the Mets right, at the end right, of his career. Right. <laughs> oh, it's just uh, Willie Mays. <laughs> it's just Willie Mays, yeah. Just Willie Mays. <laughs> Sorry. I, I thought Kevin Mitchell was productive when he was with the Mets. Sorry. Eduardo <laughs> Alfonso? Do you Eduardo want to Alfonso, no, no, that's no. what it was. <laughs> Let us never speak of Eduardo <laughs> Alfonso again. <laughs> One thing I, I find funny about him was he's a lot of Mets fans' favorite players, like growing up, like – young Mets fans they grew up because he was great for them and I'm pretty sure every Giants fan loathes him um Who, his, Kevin Mitchell uh sorry Edgardo Alfonso oh Edgardo Alfonso yeah yeah. Uh, yeah he was not in the right place at the right time no <laughs> yeah. the, my only thing that I remember from him like the the play I remember distinctly was opening day 2003 I think the Giants were in San Diego and it was a game they won, I believe, in extra innings. Someone will fact check this, or we could, but I'm not going to. I'm going to be the old man at the bar. It was uh, it was a day game that went into extra innings, but the Giants had like the bases loaded three or four times, or they had several scoring opportunities, a chance to break the game open or break the tie. And Edgardo Alfonso, I think he left like five or seven or eight runners on base. He just kept like popping it up and making out. So that's what I remember about Edgardo Alfonso was. Opening day, he's like hitting fifth, and he goes over five, and he strands every runner. He could have won the game for them several times over, and, and I think that's what his whole Giants career wound up being. Wasn't I mean they also didn't they start out the season like twelve and zero in two thousand three? I mean they went wire to wire. Right, that also happened. That is absolutely true. So my <laughs> complaining about that in any way is ridiculous. But yes, that's absolutely what happened. They and they they won. A, I remember in like the first month or two of the season of that season. I mean, the Giants were, they played great. And it was like, Jeff who? Jeff Kent? Who's that? Uh, but also a lot of teams, I remember watching a lot of those games, a lot of those teams were making a lot of mistakes. They were capitalizing on basically any mistake a team made. They were all over it. And I think Kurt Ainsworth was pitching well for them in the early going Dam- as well. Uh, Damian, oh no, Damian Moss was the, no, Damian, Damian Moss was pitching well that April. That's Damian right. Moss was the, yeah, that's right. That's right. He was the trade in the off season. Um <laughs> I would say my my main gripe with Edgardo Alfonso isn't that he was bad. It's that his being bad meant he was traded for Steve Finley, <laughs> which is just an affront to everything I believe in as a Giants fan. Yeah. Uh, we're <laughs> I was at that uh, game in 2004. Oh, stop. I was at hey, the game. Let's, what, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh <laughs> So that's why people wonder, like, what's wrong with Brian? Well, I was at that. (laughs) (laughs) I was, um, so, right. I was, let's see, my daughter was, whatever, nine months old, maybe eight months old by then. And I think I was, like, either nursing her or, you know, trying to be playing quietly with whatever it was. And I was like, I think she's still scarred. By the sound I made. <laughs> when he, 
I probably made some inappropriate sounds before then. I was screaming about Dustin Hermanson and Oh, I I am pretty sure that I left my body and ran down the steps when Cody Ransom made the error. I was on the third baseline. I was not that far from the railing. And I, I remember my soul leaving my body after that error happened. So. <laughs> Uh, the and Dustin Hermanson, I was actually not mad at him because he was getting squeezed. That was the thing I remember about that. Well, he was getting squeezed. That was also his fifth consecutive day pitching. <laughs> right. Thanks, Felipe. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I remember the yeah. sun, the way the sun was at Dodger Stadium. Uh, that I did not see the ball go. I didn't see like I saw him swing and I saw him, you know the contact made, but I didn't see it go over the fence. I just saw all the fans. It's probably better that I didn't actually see the ball go over, but I still remember everything else. But uh, it was it was uh, it was very painful. Okay, so I pulled up opening day of two thousand three. They Great. did play the Padres at Qualcomm. Okay. Um, Edgardo Alfonso went zero for four. Um, he had a negative point three one five WPA win probability added, which was the lowest by a large margin um, for that game. And didn't Joe Nathan get the win or the save for that uh, game? Felix Rodriguez got the win and Tim Worrell got the save. But Joe Nathan pitched, I think he pitched out of a crucial jam in that game. Joe Nathan pitched the sixth inning. Okay, there was a big spot there. Okay, It was it was Kirk Reeder. Our, our Kirk Reeder was opening day. Followed by Joe Nathan, Scott Ayer, Felix Rodriguez, and Tim Worrell. That is, um, an, that is an all-time Giants pitching that, lineup that right there. Really oh, my God. Giants. <laughs> so, let's see. Edgardo Alfonso. Um, let's see. He didn't come to bat in the first. He reached on an error in the top of the second. He, um, he let's see. What happened here? It looks like. He was at bat when there was a wild pitch scoring Ray Durham, sending Jose Cruz Jr. to third and Bonds to second. But then he flew out, so he left those men on base. And then, let's see, then he grounded out with nobody on. I remember that as being the bases loaded. No, I'm just yeah, that, must no, be- that was later. No, I mean, it must have been the one where he – there was a wild pitch, a one scored, and, you know, then he yeah. made the third out. Yes, and then with the score tied in the eighth, there was a walk, a double, a pop fly. The bases were loaded, and he hit into a double play. Okay. <laughs> I cannot believe you remember that. <laughs> and then the Giants won the game in the top of the ninth off back-to-back home runs by, do you know? Oh, no, I don't remember that. I think I was still fixated on Alfonso. So Benito Santiago and JT Snow hit back-to-back home runs. And then later in the inning, Jose Cruz Jr. singled in Marquise Grissom. Wow. I, I don't remember that at all. But now right. I'm thinking yeah. about him like Benito Santiago, who was juicing. Uh, but still, Qualcomm <laughs> was not an easy place, that easy of a place to hit home runs, unless you're Barry Bonds. Uh, yeah. Wow. I don't remember that. Go. Yeah. That is – I'll never – my favorite Benito Santiago home run, like favorite, was in um, game four 
of the NLCS against the Cardinals in where 2000. Where he corkscrewed at home plate? Yeah. And, yeah, and I was at that game. I, I was that. at that game. Uh, my oldest my oldest kid, my son, was um, a year, well, a year and a half, I guess. So he didn't need a ticket. My husband and I you know, bought tickets off Craigslist because, you know, StubHub wasn't around in those days. We bought tickets. We sat in kind of view reserve, I don't know, 320 maybe, something like that. Um, and it was, it was really windy that night. It was yep. really cold. And uh, we kept kind of shuttling around because we had this kid and, we, you know, trying to keep him warm and whatever. And we were, um, I think we were back in the seats and, right, it was two, they, they tied it up. They were down to nothing. They tied it up. And then they walk, whoever, right, I don't remember who was pitching for the Cardinals, but they walked Bonds intentionally. And then Santiago hit that home run and it seemed to hang in the air for maybe 15 minutes. Yeah, and I've actually gone back and listened to Kipe's call of it, you know, because you we all know the cadence of his calls, right, and yeah. the timing, and you know, like he had to stretch it out, like it, you know, the I mean, obviously the ball didn't hang in the air that much longer, but it was a foggy night, it was a windy night, and it's just like, is this ball going to get over the wall, you know? And it was just, um, that, I mean, I'll, I don't think I'll ever kind of ever, ever forget that. I like, remember it barely clearing the wall, but I feel right. like on replay, it, it cleared it. It was fine. But yeah, just I remember it hanging up there so long. So uh, long. Uh, yeah, the, and the corkscrew was great. The, the one thing about that game that I always tell people about is that LeVon Le Hernandez recorded zero swing and miss strikes in that game. <laughs> <laughs> But that was still back in the time when people were talking about LeVon like he was some magical postseason pitcher. No, the Giants were the only ones talking about it back then. Dusty was, remember? Dusty was insistent. Yeah. Dusty, Dusty pitched him in Game 7 against That's the Angels. I mean, it was, you know, and didn't have Kirk Reeder warming up from the very beginning. Kirk Reeder should have started that game. Kirk that... Reeder should have started that game, but he also should have been, I mean, you know, it's Game 7, hello. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be, yeah, I don't really want to walk down like dusty memory lane. I, I, I mostly have fond memories for dusty, but I, some things really, really stick in my memory. <laughs> no, I'm not even talking about game six, just some other, you know, screwball stuff. Yeah, and one thing and, that and, does, oh, go ahead. Yeah. You know, I mean, stuff that you saw from the other side when they, you know, the giants played the reds and then ended up winning those three straight games in Cincinnati. And, you know, I think he will be an improvement over Matt Williams, but it, I just, I don't know. I, 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 I understand why he got another shot for many, many reasons, but um, I, I just, <laughs> he's going to drive. I mean, Nats fans, I think will be relieved that it's not Matt Williams, but Baker will drive them crazy in his own way. Uh, Considering thing, the Nationals have had multiple great teams that fell short in the playoffs, Baker seems like an odd choice. Right. Uh, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that seems to be what where he's been tied to most of the most of his career. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I also but one thing that also sticks in my mind about him, which is I think why I'm always willing to like say, ah, oh, he should based on all the other flawed managers who seem like who keep getting chances. Like to me, Terry Collins, 
I, I recognize that he definitely has good qualities, but to me, what happened in Anaheim was like, you know, uh, how did he keep getting chances to opportunities to manage Bobby Valentine? There's like a lot of guys I can see why they do, but it's a bigger head scratcher because to me, one thing that always sticks in my mind about Dusty Baker is the players do like him a lot, and he and maybe he does play favorites, but he does seem to be able to bring out a certain energy in his teams that that I feel like is a very positive aspect to it. So, you know, Bruce Bochy's so even keel, and he's just able to essentially manage fairly. I guess that's the book on him. But Dusty Baker seems like he can he can do something with these veterans, uh, you know, keep people uh, positive when things get rough. And he, he also seems really good at taking bullets for his players, unless I'm forgetting key moments where he didn't. But he just seems like a, a good players manager that would – reason for me why he would hang around so much i just remember that part of him when he was with the giants is like oh that's probably a very big positive but how he deals with management and in the game tends to be a problem yeah i mean i you know i i think we're incredibly spoiled now that that we've had all these years of bochi because i you know there i, I just think there are very very few managers kind of in, in any sport, frankly, who, who are as good at he, as he has at both the people person stuff, you know, managing the egos, um, you know, dealing with the clubhouse, uh, you know, shielding play. I mean, doing all that stuff that, you know, I think he does extremely well and also being a fairly astute tactician. I mean, it's just not that easy to combine both of those things. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he does that. I don't think there's any question that the Nationals needed someone to bring some order to the clubhouse because it seemed like that, you know, from everything I've read and from what, you know, we could all observe that that was a huge problem. You know, there's a lot of talent on that team. And, you know, we all know those of us who, you know, uh, are more stats inclined or at least, you know, read a lot of the stat stuff that we don't really, you know, game by game, you know, the fans get kind of irritated with what a manager does, you know, Oh, you should have pulled him. Oh, you should put him in. Oh, you should have, you know, double switched. But the, you know, there really isn't any way anyone's yet come up with to truly quantify, you know, how much it really affects, you know, what the wins of replacement is or how many games are won or lost, you know, by strategy kind of thing. So, um, you know, and there's there's always stuff that fans don't know about injuries, and and then there's always the issues of well, you know, if he had pitched, you know, Jack that day, and then Jack wouldn't have been available the next day, and Jack ended up, you know, being the guy who won the game, you know. So anyway, um, but from a fan perspective, to have someone who, you know, has his eye on on the tactics, but also is a good people person, it's great. So. It's refreshing. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, I, you know, it is. It really, really is. Uh, I've found a great transition from that. What isn't, re- what isn't refreshing to me is this discussion of the designated hitter coming to the National League, which now basically the, the mouthpieces for the league and probably the players' union are really saying, like, it's an inevitability, which is always a way, like, of the press kind of loosening – you know, or softening the ground for everyone to accept that this is coming. It's the feelers that are getting put out. And uh, and Grant's 
uh, article the other day. Again, folks, great content on McCoveyChronicles.com every day of the week. Uh, but saying, uh, I believe actually this was on SB Nation, but, uh, but it was essentially that also great content was that uh, the DH is coming and, and we're, we're going to get used to it and be fine with it pretty quickly. Um, I hope I don't ever, I hope when I'm 80 years old, if I make it that far, that I still am as angry about it as I will be when it happens. How do the rest of you feel? Doug, you want to go first? Um, yeah, I don't like the DH at all. I think it's awful. And I hope that I hope that it gets wiped off the face of the earth and some sort of Superman flying around backwards thing. <laughs> okay. I don't have to follow up on that. Um, <laughs> I don't like the DH. Um, I have, you know, spewed hell and fire about it. Um, maybe it's just that I'm, you know, there's so many things to get irate about. I don't know that I have it in me to continue to be irate about about that. Um, you know, I mean, I think people who kind of poo-poo, you know, the strategy, oh, you're overdoing on the strategy. I mean, I, I it's simple as this for me. I like that there's two different games. I like that the leagues, you know, have two different things. I know it makes it very complicated when there's all year round interleague play and that's, you know, a reason to never have all year round interleague play as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I know the, the cow's out of the barn on that, but um, you know, I, I don't know that this strikes me as not, not a very good reason to get rid of it. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I like, I, I like the strategy. I like the tradition. Um, I, you know, agree with you guys. Um, and it's not just about, you know, mad bum hitting because, you know, that, that's really fun, but that's, you know, that's not a reason to like still have a rule. I don't think, um, you know, I just like the fact that it's a different game and that, you know, you have to, it, it, it makes it more like, you know, the chess match that I think baseball should be. So, um, will I stop watching, you know, will I write thousand word, you know, screeds about it? Probably not, um, anymore. Maybe I'm resigned or maybe, you know, I don't know, bigger fish to fry. But, um, yeah, no, it's awful, terrible, and it should never happen. But but Larry Bear came out and said, after the uh, after John John Mosliak, the GM of the Cardinals, said, you know, I, I think there's momentum building, and that was reported. Larry Bear came out and said, I don't like it, and I don't want to see it happen. So, you know, he's the Giants – have a fair bit of, I mean, the Cardinals are the Cardinals, but the Giants have a fair bit of sway and, you know, we'll see. Uh Uh-oh, maybe they're going to trade the DH for territorial rights. That was, (laughs) I know that's one of your other topics. Was that your way of getting into that? that, Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'll talk about that if you want, but I was just thinking, hmm, how are they going to make the bear happy? Right. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, it's just, it seems, um, I, I, here I ask people whenever I get a chance who are, are for it. I'm like, why, why do you need there to be uniformity across the game? And they go exactly that uniformity across the game. And, and I, it, they should play balance on either side. And don't you want to watch good baseball? And I, I just don't get this. It, it's like a very childish mindset. That idea of like, I want to see every game be eight to six. Um, <laughs> 
And I, not that it would with the DH necessarily, but I just don't buy into the argument like, oh, you'll get more offense and that's a better game to watch when, because it's just, it's, it's more dramatic. It is actually more dramatic to go, the pitcher's up in two batters. What's going to happen to the eighth place hitter? You know, what's going to happen here? Like, are they going to pitch to him where the bases are loaded? Is the pitcher going to do something here? Uh, you know, are they going to have to pinch it and pull a guy? He's got a no hitter going, you know? So all those things to me are dramatic and great and entertaining and focusing on one aspect of of baseball I, this is the part we are intelligent enough beings to focus on multiple things at any given time and if you're really that bent out of shape about two to one games then go watch an american league game that right. that's a that's a option available to you but it's not like you're going to get measurably better baseball there's a lot of bad baseball in the american league too and they have the dh so it doesn't really uh, that argument doesn't mesh with me. And then I think this, with the idea that the players are going to suddenly have more job opportunities, I think it's kind of like the fans where we want something so badly and it's good on its face. Or I guess you shouldn't say that, but like consumers, we think it's great if we have a la carte cable programming. Well, now we're going to be paying the same for fewer channels because now everything, you know, we're going to have to pay $7 a month for every station we want. But you know, the players wanted, uh, if the players want more job opportunities, it's going to backfire in some ridiculous way. I mean, to me, it makes the most sense that they should, that the players should have um, more free agents uh, wh- who can, the, the draft should be a little easier. There should be more players coming into the game. But a lot of these decisions are being made of the older guys. How do we keep them getting work and being well paid? And I understand that. But it also has a short-sightedness to it. And you're only adding, at best, you know, half the league, 15 other teams. And how many of them are going to actually use that slot to buy a new player? They're probably going to do what most teams do and rotate guys in and out of the DH spot. So I don't think it answers that question. And so it seems like a very, again, short-sighted way of doing it. All in the, It doesn't make the game prettier. I, I agree with all those things. And I'd also say, unless rosters also expand, it's just trading one kind of player for another kind of player. I mean, if you, rosters if, expand, they're just going to add more pitchers. We already know it's going to happen. Well, but I mean, if, if they add the DH to the National League and don't expand rosters, then you're just trading a, you know, potentially successful, you know, bat guy off the bench for a relief pitcher, most likely. Or so, yeah. you know. It's not, I mean, yes, it could extend, you know, it could extend the life of some aging hitters, you know, at least as the DH is now kind of formulated the way we think about it. But if we had the DH in both leagues, you know, I mean, the idea of it, you know, it might change over time how the, how that position is used at the same time, uh, you know, teams are getting um, smarter about the whole kind of third time through the order curse or whatever, you know. And, you know, like the Rays, the Rays last year moved to really kind of shorten, you know, starts for their pitchers and, and use relievers, you know, much more. So, you know, maybe you don't mean, I don't, I I haven't gone back to look at their roster, but, you know, maybe, maybe the Rays, you just, you just carry one less utility infielder, you know, if you have, if you have the DH or, or you have a DH, who's not really a DH because you want to keep as many relievers, you know, as you want. So, 
you know, it's unless the rosters go to 26, it's, it's a zero sum game. The question is kind of which specialty, you know, gets a favored status, right? And Whether it'll be pitching. We already know the answer. It'll be pitching. <laughs> well, but that's what I'm saying. If you get right. Well, if you get a DH in the National League, um, you don't know whether, I mean, you know, do, do, do teams carry one fewer reliever, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, Bruce Bochy will have 15 pitchers to available. He'll love it. So <laughs> <laughs> there, there have been times where I'm like, how many pitchers do you want to carry giants? <laughs> and the giants are like, have you, have you seen that our starting staff is going three innings a game? We want all of them. <laughs> Uh, Wendy, what have you thought about uh, the offseason this year? We asked Grant this question. Um, how does it feel to be front runners, or do you not agree? I really hate it, and I want people to stop saying good things about the Giants. Like, <laughs> just stop. Yeah. Um, I am – I was very – I was very disappointed the Giants didn't get Granky for a variety of reasons. Number one, he's Granky, and he's – He's cool and he's smart. And oh my God, if the giant, if you know, it, it would be like, I mean, that would have been great. I'm sure the Dodgers aren't happy that he's pitching for the Diamondbacks, but getting Granky just, I mean, it probably would have just made my entire year, regardless of, you know, what happened after that. Um, and I'm cautiously optimistic because Dave Rigetti, you know, is a warlock that, um, you know, Cueto and Samarja will be good to very good on a consistent basis. And I think, you know, looking at kind of, you know, once, once price signed, once Granky signed, um, I, I like that the giants were, I like that they gamed it out. I like that they had a plan, you know, I like that they knew what they wanted to do kind of as soon as, you know, one piece fell into place, they moved on, you know, another piece fell into place, they went to plan C or D, whatever it was. Um, you know, a lot of things have to go right, but that that's always true, right? I mean, it's always true. The Giants, in the years that they won the World Series, they, you know, had, um, for the most part, you know, really, they had good health. Um, you know, in 2014, they lost Pagan, you know, in, I mean, they, they had some, they had situations where they lost people, but, you know, you can't have a situation like where you, where you lose a posy and then, you know, all, everything kind of just works fine. So of course everything has to go right, but that, that's kind of true every season, right? I mean, oh, the Warriors only won the championship last year because they were the last team standing. I mean, that's not true, but it is also true. They were very lucky and they had a lot of good health. So um, I like the Denard Span signing. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I'm going to be very interested to see how, you know, what happens in left field. Um, you know, uh, you know, I tweeted about this the other day after the span signing, Kuko was on the radio talking about, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we all know Pagan's a diva, but you know, he'll do whatever Bochi asks. And I'm like, yeah, that's the very definition of someone who's not a diva. <laughs> Um, so I don't know exactly what you're saying, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I think it's be very, I mean, we'll see what happens, whether Pagan ends up platooning with Blanco or they just kind of rotate around and, you know, we'll have to see what Span's health is. Uh, I wouldn't have minded a bigger signing, but you know, they did commit a lot of, once they made those commitments to Samarja and Cueto, I, 
it was pretty clear they weren't going to go, you know, get even an Alex Gordon. Um, and I'm fine with that. So, um, you know, the biggest, I think one of the biggest uncertainties and one that could really affect the team's fortunes is Matt Cain. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing that, you know, how we're not that, you know, we're, what is it? Four seasons, I guess, since the, you know, 2012, when, you know, Linscombe came out of the bullpen in the postseason and Kane, you know, pitched well in the postseason, had the perfect game and Linscombe's gone without any fanfare at all. And Kane is like, oh, hi, I still have $80 million on my contract. <laughs> and he's the fifth starter. So uh, I'm really, you know, just on a personal level pulling for him, you know, to have a positive season. But I also think it's going to be really important for him to have a, to have a good season. So. I'm cautiously optimistic, which is probably a bad sign. Yeah, I'm I'm not someone who wants to really pull down hard on the whole even year magic oh, idea. I, hate I, I hate don't it. I think it's a, it's a I think it's a bad look for Giants fans because not that we need to be miserable or miserly or just, you know, really angry about it or look at spit in the face of the good fortune that that has befallen us over the past six years. But at the same time, it's like, remember where you came from and realize that this can all go away like that. <laughs> and I just feel like, you know, front runners or that kind of attitude. Uh, it's just, it's just weird. It's like tempting. It's asking the baseball gods to do it, to do something. It's as, you know, it's they, and they'll do it. They'll, they'll laugh in the face of it right away. And yes, I firmly believe in the baseball gods. They exist. We see them all the time. Yeah, I also don't like about it. And this is just like my nerd hat on with neon nerd lights flashing is that, you know, it's like I'm over here screaming. Correlation is not causation. (laughs) Correlation is not. I mean, like, I don't know. It's just, (laughs) yes, they won every other year. But you understand those are independent things. Right. And hello. Um, and, you know, now the Giants are getting into it. And, not, you know, I get it from a marketing standpoint why they play it up. Uh, you know, and Denard Span talked about that. Oh, I hear that, you know, they win every other year. Um, but it, 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 it really bugs me because some people, you know, for example, my 15 year old son is just like, you know, when things like, you know, when they weren't doing well last year, well, of course not, you know, like, like, of course, because this isn't how it works. And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> like, stop saying that. Right. Uh, yeah. This I mean, it feels like 20, uh, it feels like 2011 was the way that it was, you know, it was clearly the Giants best chance of going back to back, which is very difficult, but the, the Royals made it look extraordinarily easy to be just as or better just as competitive or more competitive the following year after the World Series. Uh, and the Yankees used to do it pretty consistently as well. So, uh, <laughs> Well, the Giants, I mean... The Giants, Giants relied on two collapses in, in, three, in their three World Championships, the Padres and the Brewers, essentially, to get into the playoffs. Right. The, Gi- the Giants pitching in 2011 on almost every statistical level was far... The regular season pitching was far superior to 2010, 2012, 2014. The offense was just historically, 
you know, I mean, Posey was a huge part of it. You know, Aubrey Huff, you know, fell off, Cody Ross, you know, I mean, you know, and, and it's one of the reasons why I was then and still stand by being in favor of the Carlos Beltran trade. I thought that was actually, that's what they should have done. And it oh, didn't yeah. work out, yeah. even though he actually hit very well. You know, he was hurt and blah, blah, blah. They didn't end up missing, you know, by that much. Um, and yeah. And the thing that the thing that bothered me so much about 2011 um, was that I felt like Bochi gave up too early. Like there were especially vis-a-vis the wild card, even though that was the year you know, it was like they were, the Giants were going to have to jump over like three or four teams, but that's exactly what happened. I mean, that was the year everything kind of went crazy on the last day of the season. Um, so I felt like they kind of threw in the towel too early. But yeah, I, I, I mean, without Posey's injury, you know, you never know. But the pitching was magnificent in 2011. Absolutely, like off the charts, magnificent. And they could have, you know, I they easily could have with a few other tweaks here and there, you know. It was kind of the case with 2009 as well, just in terms of how great the pitching was and how abysmal the offense was. Um, One of the national guys, uh, Casey Stern, who he mentioned the other day, he said, um, I mean, obviously a lot of these guys, national guys, they really don't pay attention. They don't pay attention seemingly to the National League teams very much. And certainly the Giants, not that much, considering that they have won three World Series recently, but his, so I take it with a bit of a grain of salt, but now we're talking about 2011 and even 2009. This is reminding me of, that's reminding me of his comment, which is that he was concerned about the Giants this year in the sense that, like you said, if everything, if things don't go the Giants way, here's how it can look bad. And one of those things he said was he felt like the Giants offense had the potential to be like the Angels lineup last year which is that they've got a couple of big guys, but then everything else could potentially go and be really bad for them. And I was trying to, and then he went and explained it. And he's like, what are you going to get out of Posey and Pence? Are they going to be able to carry everything if Belt's hurt or streaky or Panic doesn't come back or Duffy isn't exactly what he was last year and Brandon Crawford isn't quite the guy he was last year offensively? Pagan gets hurt, Span gets hurt. You know, those are all things that are, are, pretty likely too. And I, and I was just thinking about it going, well, I mean, the Giants have tried very hard to build up their depth so that they can plug in holes. Uh, that Remember it was Zach Wheeler or Gary Brown that was the rumor for that trade for Beltron? And that look what happened. They, they, they know they needed offensive depth and it still didn't work out. They've been trying for years to build from within to get those that offensive help as best as they can. Um, but yeah, ultimately... Things are going to go, they're going to break. We can't really predict. They do the best they can, but I feel like the Giants, I've said this, Doug's heard it a million times. The Giants did everything that they were supposed to do, thought they had to do, and any reasonable person from the outside looking in should see that you know they, they could have done. I feel like they did everything they could and let the chips fall where they made this year. Right. I mean, also a lot of it has to do with, you know, what happens in Arizona? What happens with the Dodgers? I mean, right? So, Well, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. They are every year. They have the most money. <laughs> yeah. They, they're, oh, they're, like, they're like the Transformers movies. They made a lot of money. Therefore, they're good. I mean, that's that's how it works. So, Or, or Minions. <laughs> or Minions, right. These are, the, these are the, the pinnacle of modern cinema, and Dodgers are the pinnacle of baseball. So... 
Don't get me started on minions. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember once, whenever, whatever, just is that's that's despicable me, right? Right. And then they okay. spun off into their own right. series. So, so since I at the time had kids who I mean now my kids are older and probably wouldn't thankfully go see movies like that. I remember taking my daughter to see Despicable Me or Despicable Me 2 or both. I'm sure I had to go to both. And then tweeting like something like, you know, I, there were actual adults in the theater without children. And I'm very concerned for the future of our country. And all <laughs> these people responded like, the minions are just, the minions are so great. I don't know how you don't think they're just the funniest thing. And I was just like, Oh my God. And like smart people, like baseball writers, other people, Oh, the minions are just hysterical. And now we have Donald Trump. So I, you know, <laughs> no, you drew a line. Oh my goodness. I, could, I just <laughs> you like, connected the, that red yarn. I was not expecting you to go Trump there. <laughs> yeah, it's just Wendy, it's so, I was not expecting you to have the hottest take in podcast history. <laughs> it's so easy to do the Donald Trump thing. Now I know that was a complete cop out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just went for the, the, I went for the brass ring there. No, I'm sorry. I just, yeah. Minions. I don't, I just don't get it. And if I really thought about it, I probably could write a pretty good hot take thing piece about, um, you know, the success of things like the, the minion minions and just all that stuff and the rise of people like Donald Trump. Um, every time I see something, you're still drawing the line you're doubling every, down every time I actually have a long running list of things um, I keep a little every time like there's something that I just think oh my god I'm going to bang my head against the wall about this I have a little sheet I write down and say you know this is I keep a little like a list of things that I think you know, that are reflective of what's going on in American culture. You know, you can't draw a direct line to Donald Trump, but I think kind of contribute to a culture and an atmosphere that 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 allows something like that kind of nonsense to flourish. I'm dealing with people my age making, liking, embracing Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fan films and dark takes on the Power Rangers and like gritty reboots of that. So there I'm I'm with you on some degree of there there's like an embedded infantilism in the cultural psyche and and it's and also it's either people don't want to grow up or something about the, the nostalgia the toxicity of nostalgia that we have going on. I I feel like that's just as bad too and what is Trump but like an 80s nostalgia? And, and, uh, like, a like, a the personification of that gross time that somehow people are still fond of, because for some reason, we're always looking back going, those were the good old days. Yeah, things were the good old days when you're young. So you don't have responsibilities. But I, I, I maybe the line to me is maybe the line you draw is minions to Trump, but maybe it goes. Reagan minions, Trump. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying Reagan to Hook because Hook was all about how you should never grow up, which is uh. a stupid message. <laughs> and that's a really popular movie that every child watched in school 20 times somehow. Uh, Rufio was a minor celebrity in the Bay Area, obviously. <laughs> it was cool if you knew him or knew someone who knew him. I remember that. Yeah. 
because he went but, to Pittsburgh High or something. Like that. Yeah, there. I mean, it's not just Hook. I mean, right. there, there's been a Peter Pan kind of revival, right? There was the NBC live broadcast. My daughter has either been in or seen, I don't you know, five local productions of, of, of Peter Pan over the last several years. I, that's probably true all the time. But yeah, I just... Well then, so Hook was Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg, a big guy in the 80s and 90s, maybe... Maybe this nostalgia problem in Trump is the result of we'll go Reagan, Spielberg, Minions, Trump. <laughs> maybe it's Hollywood's fault that we are this way. Then maybe maybe people have been right all along. Hollywood is going to ruin this country. <laughs> There's no question in my mind that you know fame as a thing to reach for. You know fame qua fame. Like it's good to be famous for the purpose of being famous which is something that has fed, you know, Trump's, uh, you know, it's one thing to be a successful businessman. It's another thing to be, you know, the apprentice and all over. I mean, you know, we do, we do create and idolize celebrity for the purpose of celebrity, just way, way too much in this country. And now, you know, it's, I mean, there, there were a lot of seeds that were sown, um, purposefully and otherwise that, you know, have kind of given rise to people like people like Donald Trump and he's not the only one. So anyway, let's, let's go back to baseball because 99% of the people who were listening to this podcast <laughs> now turned it off. So, Oh, that was a long, we'll see. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, okay, yeah, we so can bring questions. it back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's go to our Twitter questions and see if we can get back on baseball topic. Doug, do you have them? I can find some. Um, I have here. Why don't I find the ones that were tweeted at Wendy directly? Because okay. those were all good for some yeah, reason. I have yeah. some of those. Okay. Um, so one of them was from Sully Baseball at Sully Baseball, who actually had three questions, like a jerk. Right. But uh, we're going to go with first two so the first one is where will the a's be playing in five years and the second is where will Lintz come end up which is a pretty easy one for brian at least to answer because we know what he thinks <laughs> oh oblivion sorry <laughs> <laughs> the a's will be playing at oblivion and linscom will be pitching for them there is that your answer <laughs> yes that's my answer that's i feel like that's a strong answer <laughs> uh, i think the a's will be in oakland in five years, they'll still be at the Coliseum, but there will be, in five years, there will be either a new ballpark under construction or soon to be under construction also in the East Bay for the A's. That's my prediction. Lincecum, hmm, good question. I mean, I think he will, he'll get a minor league deal and I predict he will be on a major league roster come opening day. I don't, I don't, really have a sense yet where that will be Doug what do you think um so yeah I think the A's are going to stick around in Oakland it seems like they have to and also it would be stupid to leave Oakland when all the money has started to pour into Oakland because they people literally can't put it into San Francisco anymore right it's the smartest place for them to stay um Lincecum it's tough I mean maybe a minor league deal with Seattle 
that's the sort of the, been the default answer on him for years because he's from Seattle. And it's kind of a stupid answer because that's never like maybe twice in the history of baseball. Has that been the reason that a player went somewhere? But yeah, it's, it's tough to see just cause it's really more about the availability of a, of a possible starting spot down the line for him than anything. Cause I think he still wants to be a starter. Um, I, I guess I just have to say Seattle and kind of punt. Yeah. I'm sticking with oblivion. <laughs> but actually okay. with the Oakland answer, I mean, that's, that makes, I mean, that absolutely, that's where the money is. And I, I mean, the A's to me, they got to, they have to stay in Oakland. Although it's funny because they're one of the franchises that have moved the most in their <laughs> history. So it wouldn't be so ridiculous, but Oakland is for me, at least in my life growing up, they've always been a good, a great baseball town. And I think it, it's, they should be there and they, that they should always be trying to keep the giants honest and, and getting up in the giants business as often as possible. Oh, I, mean, I totally agree with the that. giants were, the giants were the laughing stock really, especially through the eighties. Uh, and the eight and the A's were sort of the class of the area and they knew how to do things. And the giants always seemed like they were trying to figure it out. Um, and now they have it figured out. And I don't think the A's are quite a laughing stock by their, all their decision-making, I don't feel like they're hapless or anything like that, but it just seems like they're so focused on getting the rich man's credit card or like having a blank check from a city that that's all their focus has been on, that they've probably missed out on at least a couple of other potential opportunities that if they had explored more than one route 10 years ago, they'd probably be in a different situation today. Like we could all say about our own lives, don't you think? (laughs) Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really rooting for the A's to stay in Oakland and, you know, from the perspective of someone who, um, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't think city, you know, I don't think city should throw public money at, at owners and all that stuff. I, I think that Libby Schaff, who's the mayor of Oakland has actually handled all the A's and Raiders stuff incredibly well. And it's such a, such a nice change of pace, not just from politicians in general, but also from her predecessor, who was just terrible. I mean, she wasn't smart. She said things she shouldn't have said. She promised things she shouldn't have promised. She didn't know what she was doing. Um, so, you know, I I'm, I was hoping that the NFL would just resolve it in a way that made the Raiders go away, because I don't like <laughs> football at all, and I don't really care. Um, and then that would open the door for the A's to get their ballpark sooner rather than later. And maybe that will happen sooner rather than later, and it won't take another five years. But um, it makes so much sense for the A's to stay in the East Bay for all the reasons that you mentioned. I, and I think I think something will happen relatively soon. Now that the Tampa Bay Rays have been given permission to go look at other sites, you know, I I, I will say – I don't love everything about what Rob Manfred is doing, but I, he's like, he's, you know, both still like to create commissions and let things just kind of play out. And I think Rob Manfred is smart enough to understand that like the world is, you know, keep going. You want to keep up, you got to be an action person. So I, I think something will come together soon for the A's. That also could be completely optimistic. I thinking. Tim Lincecum could buy the A's. It could just be, who knows? <laughs> Tim Lincecum and Barry Zito could buy the A's. That's right. With the Giants' money. How about that? 
Uh, what's the next question? Uh, okay, so uh, Oakland Raiders at Raider Sparky asked, why don't more hitters bunt down the third base line against this shift for lefties and then sent a picture of the shift because that's very helpful on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Just kidding, Raider Sparky. But it was the one where, you know, the third base is even closer to second base than the shortstop. Usually, The third baseman is closer to third, second base than the shortstop usually is. So there's just like a massive, massive hole on the left side. Yeah, um, and the shortstop, the shortstop is on the first base side of second base. Second yeah. base, second baseman's in right, shallow right field. First baseman's the, way back at first base, yeah. Yeah, the Barry Bond shift, the wishbone defense, Ted Robinson used to call it when he was calling for the game for the Giants. Um, so why don't more hitters bunt down the third base line? Wendy? I have no idea because it's so obviously the thing that should happen. I mean, I, I have no idea. I mean, it. you know, I, I've had this conversation with so many people. I take the they should bunt or they should take advantage of it. They should learn to hit the other way. And people say, oh, you know, you just you don't need to put that pressure on Major League Baseball players. Another thing they have to work on. I mean, I'm sorry. You're a Major League Baseball player. You've been bunting since you've been in Little League. And you have to learn how to, right? I mean, Brandon Crawford laid down that beautiful bunt in the playoffs. Brandon Belt laid down that beautiful bunt in the postseason when they never done it. I mean, just learn how to do it. It's the pitchers to do it. Just do it. And And first of all, it makes so much sense. You're not just helping your team. You're also... You, you do things enough to kind of screw around with, you know, the prediction models, then the defense will start to open up for you. I mean, it's, it makes so much sense. So I agree with Rocky Raider or whoever that was. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> Randall. Um, for me, I mean, the answer must just be, it's really hard. Like I, I'm not a baseball player. I don't know, but that has to be it. But the thing I always go back to is that Barry Bonds did try to bunt. I remember at least once it was in a game against the Rockies in 2001. He'd homered in, I think the fourth inning and he kind of tweaked his back a little bit. And so he, he would have come out of the game, but he was like, well, you know, they, the Giants had almost batted around. He knew he'd get a, get a, another plate appearance in the fifth. So he stayed in like an extra inning. He comes up. It's hard for him to swing. So he tries to bunt down the third base line. He doesn't do it. It doesn't work. It goes foul. So on the next pitch, he swings and hits an opposite field homer. Of course he does. <laughs> um, that doesn't have a lot to do with the question, but I wanted to tell that story because Barry Bonds is amazing. <laughs> uh, I think it's pri- <laughs> I think it's pride. I feel like that's to me is a more obvious answer. I think guys get I think it offends them, and they want to they want to beat it. And I think that bunts for those players bunts bunting is not a part of their game. And I think that there's an ego thing about, I'm not going to change my game. Uh, I'm going to beat you with my best. They feel like it's not their best. To me, that seems even simpler. But I tend to think that the younger guys coming up, that might be uh, less of an issue. Because the shifts to me, like, I don't see Ryan Howard doing that. You know what I mean? He's 70 years old. So he's not going to change his ways. He's 70 years old. He's still signed for 10 more years. I think that's how that contract goes. Um, but he, you know, he's never going to bunt against that shift and watch someone's going to at me with video of him bunting against it. But I just don't see, I see guys come, I see Bryce Harper is probably going to be more likely to do that. But how often 
do they put that same shift on for him? I know they've done it. I think I've seen it. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. But, uh, you know, he seems like a guy who would be – he's also he's also 15 years old. I see him being totally flexible with changing it. But it's it's recent enough I just don't see most of baseball adapting to – wanting to adapt to it. I think they're more offended by it. Yeah. I, which is just, you know, is just ego and nonsense. Right, right but that's <laughs> all ego is is nonsense, and it's pervasive. <laughs> no, I agree with that, but I mean – which are the pitchers that succeed more and have longer careers? The ones who learn, you know, a third pitch, a fourth pitch, you know, are willing. I mean, it just the notion, I, I agree. It's just, it's very, very frustrating from a fan perspective or from just a human perspective to watch someone who's really, really good at something, not be willing to adjust. Right. And baseball is all about adjusting to what the other side is doing. So I, it is, I think it's just, it's very, very frustrating to hear people just say, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. Um, it's, it's, it's oh, not my oh. game. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're not going, they'll adjust, but it, it's always like a conditional adjustment. I'm not going to change my game. I'm going to adjust to the fact that I'm expecting fastball and they throw, they're not throwing me fastballs. That's about the extent of the adjustment. Um, but you know, no one's. It's it's hard for to change these guys' ways. It's what, it's how they got to where they are. You know what I mean? So then, or you definitely know what I mean. I'm just there. That's the block. And yeah, it's it's silly. But how much of baseball isn't silly? Like five percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the yeah. least silly part of baseball is probably when the little kids get the balls at the beginning of games and the, they run out with the players. That's probably the least silly part of baseball. That's cute. So, uh, what next question? Uh, all right. This is kind of a, an easy one, but let's do it anyway. Keys are asked, what's the best stadium to be a visiting giants fan? I mean, Petco, right? Okay. Are we, are we, are we not counting Petco? Cause that, those are basically home games. <laughs> I've never been to a Giants game at Petco, so I can't I can't speak to that. I think it is a good question, though. It's pretty great yeah. to go to Petco, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I would say that that's uh, if you take that out of the equation. Um, I, I don't know. I can't. I can't really say. I, I've been to Oakland, LA. I'm trying to think as a Giants fan. Oakland and LA. That's really. The only other and Anaheim, those are the only and Anaheim was fine, and LA is rough and Oakland is rough but fine. Um, so that, yeah, Oakland is rough in a good way. I have been yeah. to Giants games at City Field and there's oh you know just because affinities there's always a huge contingent of Giants fans. It's pretty fun to go to a Giants game at City Field. I will say that. Um, people who have been to Giants games at Safeco in Seattle, they they say it's pretty good there too. I believe but I that. haven't so. Um, oh, I went to a Braves game. Oh, so Atlanta too, um, Turner Field, and that was that was fine. But that was kind of like Anaheim. No one really cared. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So last question, we'll say, right? Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, this is from. I'm, I'm picking. This is from Michael G at. Cyclic Amp 24. 
Of course sure. it is. Um, he said, two-part question. Do the Giants offer Belt an extension this year, and do they restructure Bumgarner's deal? Um, I say no and no. First of all, they're not going to restructure Bumgarner's deal. Right. Um, they'll probably... I forget how many years has left. When they get close to the opt-out, the opt option years, which the Giants, of course, unless something happens, will exercise their option. But when they get close to that, I, I think they'll sign him to a further extension. But they're not going to redo the deal. It's all this talk. The Royals, the Royals have so much pressure on them. They re- need to redo Salvi Perez's deal. You know, he's the. It's you know, it's just it's so team friendly. It's like. Actually, there's no pressure on them at all. I mean, do you understand how economics works? There's no, none, zero pressure on them. They have him locked up. And whether you think that's a good deal or not, I mean, I guess there's the issue of good faith and, you know, will he want to sign an extension, you know, if they don't make do. But I don't I don't see that being an issue with Bumgarner. So they'll extend him further when they get close to the option years, but they're not going to restructure the deal. And on Belt, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about it. And then there's been a lot of like, well, they've already done all these big contracts. But I also think they, I mean, the Giants want to move Posey to first base. No. Um, they do. <laughs> Ryan. Posey doesn't want to. The Giants will let him catch kind of as long as they feel like it, you know, he wants to, all things being equal. Um, but the Giants do want to move Posey to first, in my humble opinion. And so I, I'm kind of not convinced that they're even really that serious about a long-term deal for Bill. Well, uh, since from the very beginning, I've said that, that we're probably two years away from Posey moving over to first base full time. Uh, because yeah, that's what it seems like it, where it's trending, especially just the amount of time. Bruce Bochy is openly saying he wants to give he wants to give Posey so much time off, and he's being very open about it. It's uh, it's not tipping the hand, but it's like definitely there's smoke there. It's definitely going to happen. I, I could see them extending Belt through like signing a two year deal through some arbitration years. Oh, maybe this, yeah. year, maybe this year and next, just to get some of that cost certainty built in, and then I think that would that might be something that's good for both parties because if, if they lock in that number, you know, then he knows what he's, you know, his performance could exceed that or stay equal to that uh, in that third year. And who knows, he might be traded by then. So I don't know. I could see that happening though. Uh, oh, I think um, he might buy out his last two years, but I, I just don't see them doing a long-term, you know, a, a three to four to five year deal with Bell. I just don't see that happening. I can see them trying to get one or two free agent years if, you know, if he's open to it, which he probably wouldn't be because this is, you know, it's going to be his best chance to get a big contract. Um, I'd say they're they're definitely not going to try to change anything about Bumgarner's deal. John Shea just wrote an article about it, and it was weird because it's like, John, they have like four years. This is the, the reason you sign guys as early as they sign Bumgarner. Because they signed Bumgarner to an extension after like his first year or second year second in the league. Year. It was going into going into the 2012 season, I think. Yeah, and that's really early, and that's a lot of risk for the team to take. And so the payoff for that is that if it pays off like it is now, they they get some cost savings. Um, so I think it's a little silly to expect that it would be in those option years, like you said. Um, 
if I think it's possible they offer something to Belt, I don't know that it's going to be something that he wants to do. So that's kind of my take on it. And about Bumgarner, I could see them offering, yeah, same thing. It'll happen in the option years if they do it. And I could see the Giants restructuring one or maybe even two of those option years and turning, you know, making them like the first two years of a five-year, you know, of a seven-year extension if they got really crazy, which that's a lot of risk for a pitcher. But, you know, adding five more years onto the deal would be essentially what it would be. I could see something like that happening. But, yeah, yeah, there's absolutely no reason for the Giants to do that. Um, And it's just kind of, yeah, it's one of those things. That's the risk both sides take. And, you know, the Giants have handed out and opt out this season. They've taken on risk themselves. Uh, You know, signing Matt Cain to that deal, that was a risk. And that's not, you know, (laughs) that's kind of blown up in their faces. Uh, The Lincecum extension, uh, the, the Pence one, that was not exactly risky. That was an interesting deal because... They were signing him for market rate, and now he is being paid basically commensurate with what he would be reasonably worth on the open market. And so the Giants, are, you know, they take they gamble, they take bets, um, and some pay off and some don't, which is all all gambling. So uh, I, I think I think they're set. I I agree with the consensus here. Uh, wow. All right, so those are our Twitter questions. Uh, you can ask us about anything, really, but. Baseball questions, I guess, are pretty cool. <laughs> so while we were while we were talking, um, David Lennon of the of New York Newsday um, tweeted that Manfred is saying he thinks there is kind of inexorable march toward the DH in both leagues, and it will is something that will be negotiated during the next <clears throat> round of collective bargaining agreement, which is basically going to happen this season with the new agreement to start in effect for 2017. So I don't know. I mean, if Trump getting elected makes me move to Canada, I don't know what like a Trump DH 2017. Well, there's nothing but the DH in Canada. You won't be able to escape it. I know. (laughs) What about Australia? Does Australia have the DH only? Australia doesn't have really any offense. So I mean, it doesn't. (laughs) I've tried to watch those Australian baseball games and they're rough. And I think Japan uses the DH, right? Uh, I, I there's nowhere left know, to actually. go. Yeah, there's no we can't escape it. <laughs> and, and it's funny because the most popular sport on on the planet uh, has nil nil games. So it's funny the idea that someone would bring up offense as a reason to make a game entertaining. So. Okay, so we're going to play a game. Uh, first, a quick update on, uh, on a long-standing game. Uh, a long time ago, Doug and I played a game called AAV, where we tried to guess the average annual value of a free agent contracts. And uh, we picked five, and whoever got closest, uh, best out of five, won the contest. The winner would uh, be able to write a, a burn piece on the other writer, uh, about their worst takes on the Covey Chronicles, uh, which for me was going to be tough because Doug doesn't have any, and it's going to be really easy for Doug because I have nothing but bad takes. <laughs> uh, we have the results of the game, and I won. So Brian I, I, won. I, I get to spend weeks and weeks figuring out how to burn Doug, and I don't know, but <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, I won because Justin Upton's 
AAV is 23.125 or 22.125 million. And uh, I think I said 26 and you said 27 million. Yeah, I said 27 and a half, okay, but 27. close enough. Well, he's worth 27 and a half million AAV, I feel. I so. think so. Yeah, yeah. So that's the update there. Uh, riveting, I know. So expect that, I don't know, in the next couple of weeks, the slam piece of Doug Brizzoni's <laughs> worst takes. Uh, and this week we're going to play uh, State of the Union. So last week was uh, the president's final State of the Union, and I thought maybe going into this uh, season – we could take some Giants players and get in a character and figure out what their State of the Union address would be. Maybe they'll say this at like a, those season ticket gatherings that they record that are a lot of fun. So they have to like give a speech and talk about the year that was and their hopes for the year ahead. Uh, so someone's going to throw out a player and the other two are going to do a, a bit essentially uh, and try to give a, a very quick State of the Union speech. doesn't have to be elaborate. So, Wendy, you can throw out a player first, and Doug and I will struggle to be funny with it. My player is Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto. All right, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, I feel like the state of my union is, is, uh, is like my slider. It's strong. It's working. It's doing everything I want it to do. I feel like uh, I, the state of my union is great because uh, – my union is usually atop a horse, and <laughs> and I feel like that gives me a lot of extra strength. Uh, I won a World Series, so the state of my union is really strong because I won a World Series, and now I signed this really, really nice contract when a lot of people said I probably shouldn't because I have some arm issues, which are kind of red flags. But the state of my union, like my arm, is strong. It's not going to do anything I don't want it to do, which I really just want it to get through these next two years so I can opt out and make a lot more money with another big deal. Thank you. God bless. And God bless me, Johnny Cueto. Okay. Uh, I believe the state of the Cueto is strong, very <laughs> strong, and growing stronger by the day. Everyone knows that social media is the way to go now. It's what really gets you the money. It's what gets you followers. It's what gets you acclaim. And my social media presence is unbeatable. I, no one, no one has more pictures on Instagram of themselves with horses than me, Johnny Cueto. Thank you. God bless me. That, that was a good one. The... All right, Wendy, so you got it? <laughs> I, 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 I think so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I think the Nationals just signed to Cespedes, too. It's, they're making a push, it looks like. Oh, oh, they're making a push. Yeah. Okay. 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 All right. Uh, uh, oh, I can come up with someone, but I'm blanking on this name right now. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, I, uh, Ere Adrianza. Oh. That's cruel. <laughs> um, uh, okay. You going, you going first, Doug? Sure. Hi. The state of the Adrianza is good. I'm definitely a major league player. I'm going to work on 
being better at hitting. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's it. He's not he's not chatty. The state of Ahiri Adrianza is not as strong as it used to be when I was for no apparent reason on the Giants 40-man roster uh, when I clearly shouldn't have been. (laughs) So um, now that I'm not on the Giants 40-man roster, the state of Ahiri Adrianza is very sad. No, he's still on the roster, isn't he? No, no, he's not on the roster, is he? Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) I just like the state of... It's sad. I like the, that. Would be the worst set of state to. He's go still on the forty-man roster. Oh my goodness! The state of our Hiriadrandra <laughs> is so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wasn't he cut? Wasn't he cut at the end of last year? No, he's one of their no, six what? infielders. Yeah, they don't have another backup shortstop. Who am I thinking of? Oh, Juan you're right. Perez. Huh? Maybe Juan Perez. Yeah. yeah. Oh, somebody else. Okay, I blew that one. <laughs> no, no, it's totally fun. That's what Ariana no, Adrianza would do. Yeah, <laughs> he, he didn't even know he was on the roster. <laughs> he was surprised. He's like, really? Still? Wait, but who? Thanks. Who was the infielder that wasn't it? Adrianza, though, that we used to all just complain incessantly was oh, why would they? Oh, Arius. Oh, Arius was good. Yeah. Arius is gone, but Arius yeah. isn't the one. It was Adrianza, though, right? Well, well, for a long time it was. Oh God, who was that pitcher that they kept protecting on the forty-man roster? Oh, Hinshaw. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> like, oh, we can't make that trade because then we'd have to cut Alex Hinshaw. It's like, come up with a better answer. Please. Just cut Alex <laughs> Hinshaw. <laughs> but then it was that was Adrianza for a long time. Then he came up. Yeah, you're right. I don't think he'll be long for this world. But we'll I see. mean, <laughs> that you heard it here first, folks. Wendy Third predicting the death of Ari Adrians. <laughs> no, 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 no. That is not, in fact, the case. But you know, right. we'll see how it plays out. All right, Doug. Last one. Yeah, last one, and I'm just giving this to you as more of a, char- a fun character to play. Okay. Uh, the state of Hunter Pence. I knew you were going to say Hunter Pence. <laughs> Wendy, would you like to go first? I would like to do. I, Please. I I'm thinking about um, I'm thinking about the that kind of blooper thing at the end of the the 2012 World Series movie, where all the players kind of make fun of Pence's inspirational speeches from that postseason <laughs> run. And so I just want everyone to imagine right now I'm doing like the eyes the way Jeremy Affelt did them like holding my eyes like wide open you know okay Um, i love you guys i love you guys the state of the union is like just i love you guys (laughs) we all need to see what ryan terrier is going to wear to the ballpark tomorrow i love you guys the state of the union is i'm i'm engaged i got i got engaged at disneyland which is just like the coolest thing ever and now i like i have a scooter and i have like hoverboards and you know i just can't wait to like jump up in the outfield and and high five in art span and it's just like i love you guys i love you guys 
That's, <laughs> That's a good one. in the gallery. Thank you. I don't know how I'm going to be able to follow that. <laughs> Here we go. Oh yeah, the, the 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 state of the the state of the pence. The state of the pence is great. You know, it's just uh, uh I got my video games. I, I I've got my fiance. Uh, you know, uh, it was a, it was a rough. The rough hibernation cycle last year, but you know, you know, I, I persevered. A lot of injuries, a lot of injuries, but I got really in touch. I got really in touch with my subspace domain, my spiritual <laughs> healer. You know, you know, and I'm I'm gonna come back stronger than ever. I'm gonna come back stronger than ever. I've spliced my DNA with the Gorgon. I'm gonna come back stronger than ever. And you're not gonna know what's gonna happen. And oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I expelled some fluids over there, but that's okay. I'm just trying to reproduce. We're gonna have a great year. And uh, and uh, going forward, going forward, I'm gonna hit a home run. And I'm gonna catch the ball. And uh, and uh, and I gotta go. Okay, bye. And then and then uh, then he dematerializes. And game's over. So, that's it. That's a good one. Uh, I think Wendy. I think Wendy won. I think yeah, Wendy won. that was it's well done. Uh, Do I get garlic fries for that or what? Sure. The next time I see you in in three years, garlic fries <laughs> oh, on so me. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so that's how we do it. Uh, uh, Wendy, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything you want want to get out there to the people who might have missed it if they're not following you on Twitter, which they should. Give them your Twitter, ha- Twitter handle. Hanging Sliders, um, which is still a pretty good Twitter handle, I will say. I've debated back and forth whether to just switch it to my name because I'm writing kind of lots of non-sports stuff now too, but I'm going to pat myself on the back and say it's such a good Twitter handle. I'm not, I'm not going to change it. Yeah, um, just stick with it. Stick with it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, my baseball writing certainly heading into this coming season is a little bit up in the air, but I do have a story coming out tomorrow um, that has nothing to do with baseball, but I reported the story for a long time and it's a really fun story. It has to do with kind of a non-conventional sport and it will be on Vice Sports tomorrow. So uh, I don't want to say more than that because it's not up there yet. Um, okay. But follow okay. me on Twitter, and I'm sure other people will be nice and tweet it around as well. Um, and and after th- and then I'm kind of trying to figure out what my baseball writing is going to look like for 2016. You might just have to suffer, you know, by following me on Twitter. Well, we'll have to see. Um, the state of online me- money for freelancers and online online media is not strong. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, we'll see. I've always, whenever I think that this gig is up, I always find something else to make it not up. So you have to follow me on Twitter to figure out what's happening. Fair enough. And you have to follow us on, yeah, exactly. Uh, you have to follow us on Twitter too, just so you can get the link to, to this podcast. Um, which is weird because if you're listening to this anyway, uh, so I'm at every six day and Doug, I'm, I am at Moonwalk McFly. And we, again, the, the Croncast is on uh, iTunes. It's on Blog Talk Radio. Download us. Uh, give us a review. We are the highest rated podcast in the history of the internet as it stands right now. You could be the one to knock us off that perch or boost our lead because it's a pretty big margin right now. Um, it's up to you. And anyway, in any case, thanks for listening. And uh, Wendy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us and putting up with us. 
and uh, nice talking with you. This was really fun, so I'm begging you to have me back. Okay. <laughs> if we're still around, we will definitely <laughs> have you back. <laughs> 